Welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and corporate chef at the Volrath Company. And once again, today we have with us Justin Pearson, our producer and color man on the feed. Hey, Rich. Hey, how are you today? Uh, doing great. And yourself? I'm hanging in there. Yeah. Doing all right. All right. Another good week, right? You bet. Hey, just to remind everyone real quick, our mission on the uh, feed is just food service. Everything, anything, the entire world of commercial food service and the industry that supports it, uh, people in it, everything about it, right? So today, uh, we are going to be in the second half of the show talking with our guest, Joe Schumacher, who's previously been on the feed talking Mm -hmm. about uh, ghost kitchens. But today, we're going to talk about buffets as we think about changes in the industry, uh, with especially with the increase of concerns over safety and sanitation. uh, Where does that leave certain things like buffets in our industry, right? We'll be talking with him about that on the second half of the show. And just to remind everyone again, he is um, the CEO and founder of Food Space, which is a design consulting firm in Silicon Valley. And he's also a, a thought leader in the industry. He's been to Volrath University before. Great guy to talk to, very knowledgeable on the industry. Actually was named one of 20 people to watch in food service industry in 2020 by Rabobank, a banker in uh, the Netherlands who f- specializes in agricultural banking, financing, and sustainability-oriented banking. So they would be obviously very interested in people who are in the food service um, area along with sustainability, which Joe is big on as well. So it'd be interesting talking to him about the changes. So buffets, I'm a fan. I, I was, I like... was going to be my first question. Where do you stand, Rich, <laughs> on, on buffets? Well, uh, yeah, I, I like variety. So that's that's the reason I think that they, they uh, are appealing. But salad bars, you know, those are things I grew up on in the restaurant industry and in, in, in supper clubs in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah the big salad bar. So all those things, as we look at food safety now, are we'll see um, what the future holds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, buffets is just such a wide spectrum of applications and, and settings. And, you know, you, you think of everything from a hotel conference to a supper club salad bar. It's and everything in between. Yeah, you, right. It's just so far reaching and, and, and the quality too, you know, I mean, you, you look at some Vegas buffets, which are just outstanding all the way down to places that probably need another assessment from the, the health department. Right. You know, it, right. My initial reaction of uh, LaFan is probably leaning more toward the ones that are well done. The, uh, the others, you're right. There are some that uh, quite frankly, shouldn't be allowed to be open. Right. Oh and it, yeah, it's it's really a lot to do with I think how they're set up and the big problem I think a lot of people have with them is the fact that there are people that respect the rules of how mm-hmm. you should uh, serve yourself on a buffet or a self service area and those that don't. Yeah, and it's always it's just it just takes that one person who who doesn't follow best practices and common decency and sense to to ruin it for everybody. And, and the horror stories, whether they be true or myth, they are long-lasting and have effects that can really damage a business that is doing it right. Oh, right. There, there are so many. <laughs> I've seen it all. I, I've seen just literally, I think, just about everything you can see. And again, I think a lot of that is it, it's all around the, the people. And I think a good organization or a good 
well-run establishment puts in place things that kind of guide guests down the right path, right? You you make it obvious that you're to take a clean plate each time. You change out your utensils often. You keep it wiped up and clean so people have a higher maybe sense of feeling like they want to make sure it stays clean. They don't want to be mm-hmm. the one that makes it all messy. But when they're unattended, right? they're not well-kept, not well-designed. You know, they don't have good food guards or, or breath guards on them. Uh, it just gives the diner an impression of like, ugh not a good place. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with, with the, the restaurant setting the standard and a lot of people can follow suit with that, like you said, and, and keep it a bit nicer if it's kept nicer and attention's being given to each dish. And so what's some equipment that people don't normally think about that, that really help sanitation uh, in a buffet setting? Well, I think it starts obviously with your layout again, that that good breath guard that's of the right standard. Just because there's a piece of plexi or acrylic hanging there doesn't mean it's it's correct. Is mm-hmm. it a breath guard that was designed and, and installed by someone that understood what the, the standard is, or is it just something that people put up? And that's where your local inspectors, you know, should be checking those things. Those so those are things to look at. The utensils that you use are the is the handle so heavy that it the spoon flops out of the bowl or whatever the item that it's in, right? You've seen that where it'll fall out and then you've got the, the spoon handle or the part that's the guest touches in whatever else is laying around or <laughs> the, it, are people mindful of, do you, do you have the right utensil in the right container? Does that uh-huh. ever happen to you where somebody put like a ladle in something that would be much easier, like the cheese or something? Right. Yeah, you're yes. not going to use a ladle to scoop cheese. It just is a weird <laughs> thing that someone put in there. So what do yeah. you do? I've seen that happen with like uh, salad dressings and stuff, you know, where where you just have the complete wrong utensil. And, and then I end up sitting there for like way too long and holding up a line, trying to get enough ranch on my salad. You know? Right, right. So those are those are good things. And then, you know, like we talk about antimicrobials on the handles, all those little yeah. things. Maybe the guest doesn't even notice that stuff. But the, from an operator standpoint, those are just good things to good things to do. And as, you know, we're kind of picking on salad bars here a little bit, but I think as we, as we come out of this, uh, the whole COVID, um, time frame here in our, in our country that is it, is it just salad bars and buffets? Or are we talking about really any guest space, any space that's a self-serve? I think that's really kind of yeah. we're picking on salad bars because it's an easy one to think of our buffets, but right. think about all the other areas that are guest self-serve. Yeah. All those areas now we're going to be looking at, right? Right. Well, some of the best buffets that I've been to have been on college campuses. They are they used to be nightmares and horror stories coming out of those, but over the past 10 years you've seen some dramatic shifts in the delivery and then the care given to students, you know, cuz they're they're really paying a premium price for that experience and and now the food and the delivery methods are really starting to reflect that. Right. That whole industry, the whole food service in college university uh, settings has changed because now that is viewed as a amenity or a um, a, a way to attract students mm-hmm. to the college by the by the quality of your food service, right? Yeah, it, you're right. It used to be kind of the, we have this great university with a great reputation, and you went there and they're like, oh yeah, and this is what you get for food, and this is kind of how it is. But with uh, the people becoming foodies at a younger age, I think yeah. you'd be more aware of of different types of food. They want these changes. They want their regional specialties. They want the 
the new up and coming ethnic trends that they've 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 had in their hometowns or yeah. in places they vacationed and the presentation of it all all that wraps up into these much much better more professionally run more um higher end food service applications in in college university settings yeah and once again it revolves around that rapidly evolving expectation from from customers from people it's it's changing so quickly because the variety and availability of so much more that the world has to offer is closer than ever to our fingertips and and so it makes sense for these buffets to jump on board with that so that they can attract more customers as well or more students or whatever right it's it's actually how a lot of street food becomes more mainstream right where yeah. someone sees it as a as a neat thing that a little something in a, in an area region does and then from there it goes into a another area that it's one of many items maybe on a buffet and that kind of cuisine then picks up it it really has a lot of uses i guess yeah I, I always like to see buffets that aren't in the factory food setting that are able to mass produce high quality food. And it just, it blows my mind because I, I have no idea how that's done on the back end of things. Yeah, The quality and the care that they take, it, it just impresses me. And, and I would like to know more about how that's, how that's done, you know, because I would think that the easiest and quickest and most profitable way is just to get a box off the back of a truck and open it up and heat it up and there you go but but that that's that's not the standard anymore that's not no. what people want no it's not speaking of what people want do you think people enjoy the buffet like, like I said earlier like to me well run well kept uh, variety is is kind of what I appreciate especially like again a salad bar growing up here in the midwest do you think that's why a lot of people like buffets or do you think there's people that just like the whole quote-unquote graze concept of the buffet i i think both because <laughs> for me it's it falls in that category of comfort food as a kid with my grandparents we would go to this chinese buffet it was called bamboo gardens in pocatello idaho i'm pretty sure it's not there anymore but i just had fantastic memories associated with that place with my family and the food was good, at least by a you know six or seven year old standards, um, and then that just kind of carried on with me I, to the where I I just really enjoy Chinese buffet. Now I've been to a lot of them where it's maybe not the best, but it, it carried over into when I moved to Wisconsin and, and the supper clubs and where well, I just absolutely love salad bars because it's such a pain in the butt when you're at home to try and duplicate that. You know the the amount of prep work that goes into making a salad with all the fixings on it is just not generally worth my time at home. Oh, you're right. And, and you know, I'll tell you, in a restaurant, it's deceiving how much work goes into the salad bar as well. Right. Every right. day, someone's there prepping several times a day, potentially, right, Re redoing that whole buffet lineup and and in the back of the house getting all those ingredients, as you just said, prepped and ready for the for the salad bar. Yeah. I mean, you can get a whole meal out of that. Yeah, you got you got some of them have soups on there. Some of them have cold dishes, pastas, you know, all sorts of fun things, and it's totally worth it for me. So, how much inconvenience would you, as a consumer, accept at a salad bar? What I mean by that is, one of the things I was thinking about with the whole COVID and how do we come out of this is, if in the front end of the salad bar you were asked to put on gloves before mm -hmm. you touched all the utensils of the 25 different items that could be on that salad bar or that buffet is that acceptable or you know how many 
restrictions or what kind of limitations? What if there were breath guards got more restrictive so that people couldn't, you know, because you see that too, like, well, people bend down underneath yeah. the breath guard to take a look at something or people who, <laughs> you know, kids that are just naturally shorter that they they their breath clearly is not blocked by the breath guard. Right. So how much of those restrictions do you think consumers are willing to accept and still be like, okay, I get it. You know, that's, well, that's a good question for Joe, I think, for sure, right? I agree. And I, I think there's been a lot of expanded public education on what's safe, what's acceptable to do. Buffets are just really a part of Americana. So I don't, I don't think they'll go away. And I think people will are willing to adapt to different changes. And personally, I, I think you might see a lot more manned stations in buffets. Right. Where it's not so much self-serve. And... You know, as far as putting gloves on, I would like to see these changes personally because it makes me feel better about going to these places knowing that I don't have to put my trust in the person next to me, whether or not they've washed their hands recently or, you know, whether or not they're, they're wiping their nose and, and then grabbing plates. <laughs> right. I'd rather put my trust in the 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 restaurant to to handle that kind of stuff. Yeah, and maybe it's even the servers that um, when they take the order and then they'll say they'll, they'll you know prompt you that you should put your gloves on you should yeah. you know maybe they give you a little rundown of safe um, buffet practices if you will right right and i think that they're all expecting to come out of this doing some some of those changes so right yeah i'm interested to hear uh what joe has to say uh, about the future of buffets i, I hope right. they're not dead no you know, i i don't think so i think i think they'll come back i think they're they're here it's a it's a We've proven out through time that people do enjoy them. They have their place for, for service. They, they can feed a large amount of people at a pretty good rate. But I, I do think that as they come back, you'll see some changes. And I'm sure those changes will be, you know, a lot of them will come in and, and some might seem pretty restrictive. But over time, I think, you know, we'll accept them yeah. and understand the reason for them. Yeah. So should be should be interesting, to say the least, right? Yeah. We, we are adaptable, if nothing else. <laughs> So we've, we've talked about a lot of things here, a lot of what we think, kind of back and forth on our experiences with buffets. Uh, I think each of us have, would, would admit we've had some experience on these. Okay, so let's get at the second half of our show then. As we said earlier, we have with us again today, Chef Joe Schumacher, who is the founder and CEO of Food Space, an award-winning food service design and consulting firm in Silicon Valley. And uh, as we mentioned before, he is... Widely recognized in the industry as a thought leader, talking about food and design and space and really all the things that are changing in our industry. And he's recognized as one of the 20 people to watch in 2020. Thank you, uh, Joe, for joining us again here at the show. We appreciate you taking time with us again today. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thank you. Doing great. Excellent. Excellent. And last time we had you on the show, we talked about ghost kitchens and you had a great insight into into those that was yeah, um, learned a lot on that one very yeah. insightful yeah um, one of the things you know we we talked last time about how you got in into the industry and everything you talked about your catering company and and all that and and when you're doing catering you I'm sure utilize the buffet format quite a bit in your company I, I would say that yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> buffet, buffet is uh, definitely the the hot word of uh, most catering companies well, right I'm, I'm, I'm gonna interject just for a second now do you think buffet is a derogatory word Oof. Um, 
No, because I've seen some immaculate buffets that I, I exceed every expectation ever of all time. And some of those aren't even here in the U.S. In fact, a lot of them aren't here in the U.S., but... Uh, no, I don't. I don't see it as a derogatory. All right, all right, good, good. Because <laughs> Rich and I, we are both big fans of buffets. <laughs> with the with the uh, the expectation of that level, as you're talking of there, there are some that we've all I think could all agree that we probably wouldn't find very appealing. Sure. Yeah, I mean we've all, we've all been to bad buffets, you know, and, and sure. Wonder if you're gonna get sick or something <laughs> when you're done. But you know. but you need, I think you need that bad for that contrast of what's really good. Sure. You know, <laughs> Joe, you wrote an article uh, back in April on, um, well, we found it on LinkedIn, actually, that um, you talk about the COVID-19 and, and the change that we will see going forward and kind of specifically maybe geared towards buffets. And what, can you just talk a little bit about some of those things that you talk about in the article? Because I thought it was really interesting that you, you recognize that, you know, how people are going to come back into the industry. You recognize that we already have this infrastructure built in, in multiple ways that we can use it going forward. And, and I think ultimately, you know, th- does it come back, right? Do we, do we get back into buffets? So, yeah, thanks, Rich. Absolutely. I, I think um, it, let's rewind and then we'll come forward. So probably two years ago, I started talking about the conversion of buffet to find balance between what is self-service and what is full service. And I think, you know, um, in the corporate dining and in higher education and in any, anywhere where there's sort of a vendor relationship with a, a client, there is likely a buffet involved, right? So this could be as simple as a salad bar, but in some cases it may also be free food at Google that is buffet style. We were already starting to see a shift towards um, portion control and cost control efforts that was converting some of these self-service buffets, so to speak, or salad bars into either a hybrid where certain things were uh, full service and certain things were self-service like proteins on a salad bar. Um, and so we were already seeing this. So probably about two years ago, I really started talking about and designing in a way where my salad bars were all, were all convertible, or at least my first pass before, um, the client told us to do it the normal way. But, um, (laughs) you know, that, that was sort of a trend that we were already starting to work on. What COVID-19 is likely going to do to us is force us into rethinking at least temporarily any self-service food as we begin to reopen food service establishments because the reality is is that the tongs can carry the virus and if i've got you know 50 guests going through a buffet it's not that the food is transmitting it's that the tongs are transmitting and so i've we've got to find ways to take the tongs out of the guests hands and put it back into the food service workers hands and that's that is the conversation that's timely and has to do with covid-19 now how long of a period that is we don't know um, will this be a permanent shift to how we do food service likely not but could it go on for years yeah it could and we don't know the answer yet and so the reason i wrote this article is because I think that, um, especially in Silicon Valley, although we're seeing it all over the country and all over the world, people are starting to think about, all right, cool. Now it's like, it's happened. Like we've, we've been home now for a few weeks or a month or six weeks. It, at some point we got to go back. How are we going to go back? Are we going to have buffets? Are we going to be able to open this? Are we going to be able to open that? The reality is there's no regulatory yet. So we have to kind of we're left to our own devices to kind of think through that. And so our clients are instantly asking us, hey, what can we do? What should we do? What should we be preparing for? Um, Biggest first thing I would say is take a deep breath. 
and let's not make any permanent decisions yet. It's just too dang early. We don't know whether or not in 18 months we could have a vaccine that makes it that we go back to business as usual in 18 to 24 months and buffets are just back to open. Yeah. Could happen. Do, do you see, though, with uh, the heightened awareness that everyone has that we will actually go back to kind of the way it was? Do you think that we'll go back to the way it was plus some safety factors that are going to be permanent? Well, let me ask you a question. On September 15th of 2001, did you ever think you were going to fly in a plane again? I mean, if we're being real, um, our lives were forever changed in a moment, in an instant, in September 2001. And yet today I go through TSA. Well, not today, but seven weeks <laughs> ago, I went through TSA and it was just a normal day. And I didn't think about 9-11 in that right. moment, right? And so do I think that there will be a time where the buffet at Caesars Palace is open and I'm playing craps and I need a break and I want to go get some food? Yes, I do. I, I do think that that, that will happen. When that will be, I don't know. Um, what other things will be in place by that moment? Maybe you carry your own tongue around the buffet. I don't know. Um, just like I got to take my laptop out of my bag in TSA, there's likely going to be some small variant. Having right. said that, the normalcy of us going through a buffet is likely going to come back at some point in the future. Well, I, I also think that people, they're being affected on this on such a deep and core level where uh, I think of it, and compared to the Great Depression, where why did why does Grandma hoard everything? Why does she keep everything? Well, because she didn't have anything when she was little, you know. And I think people are going to be affected in a way where this this fear of catching a virus is is going to extend beyond the life of the actual virus because there's there's the potential for something next. There's always going to be a next. So this is going to be something that people hold on to that fear where. Well, why doesn't grandma uh, go to buffets? Well, because she's terrified of catching a virus. Just like our parents eating a medium rare steak, right? I mean, it's the same, you know, because uh, they were worried about getting sick from rare beef. Um, I, I don't disagree with that thought process, Justin. I just think that there's – there things move so much quicker today than they did post-Great Depression that I think the movement and the change back to some of our normalcies will be faster than it was then. It's not going to take 50 years to get back to a buffet, right? Um, it's not going to have to generation out necessarily. Um, will there be other changes? Will people be more acutely aware? Yes, but here's the thing. How many COVID deaths have you heard of that you can tie back to a buffet? We don't know. Um, and so the reality is, is that it's not the service style that people are afraid of. It's this other bug. And so if we put safeguards in place to prevent the spread of that bug in that moment, people will start to feel more comfortable more quickly. I think it's just like the conversation we had about people flocking back to restaurants, you know, at 25% capacity of a restaurant, people are still going to go fill the 25% capacity of a restaurant the instant this gets lifted. Yeah. So, Joe, and I agree that um, I think we're going to get back into it. I think there will be some some lasting, as you said, uh, we're going to give everyone a tong or how do we handle that? It's it's really training people maybe again to be to be safe. And and we're talking about buffets, I guess. But really, this applies to kind of any self-serve area you, you talked about as well. Like this is going to be beverage service or you know, all those things are going to change to to really be to be much more safe. That's right. Okay. I mean, do you feel comfortable right now walking into 7-Eleven and pouring yourself a fountain soft drink? No, I think you're right. That's that's an area that there's a lot of people touching it. And how do I handle what everyone's touching, right? That's right. And so I think that there's, you know, 
there's two possibilities. One is vaccine. The other is um, some sort of a herd immunity, right? Um, those two things likely start to bring people's comfort level up quicker. But the reality is, is that we're not sheltering in place for 18 months. I doubt we're going to see that. So there's going to be some in-between period of time where we're going to have some middle ground that is unknown. And I think that was sort of part of the heart and soul of my article was people were starting to ask us what we should do. And my answer can't be a permanent. I, I don't want to make permanent recommendations. As a consultant, our job is to make recommendations that are that are about right now and about a year from now and about five years from now. And so at some point, I can't just say, yeah, let's go remodel your salad bar. Like that's not the right decision yet. We don't know. Um, now, could the FDA release something tomorrow that says, hey, no salad bars for five years? All right, cool. Then maybe we can start to have that conversation. But in the moment, we don't know the answers to those questions. And so what can we do temporarily that doesn't cost a lot of money that solves for what we do know, which is social distancing will likely happen. We can't have 50 people on a buffet touching tongs. We've got to have PPE for our employees once we reopen. Um, you know, the things that we already know, let's start solving for those so that if we get the order tomorrow that we can reopen, we can be ready and be smart about it and not have made like drastic decisions that are going to affect the possibility of us successful, being successful in our business in the long run. Right. Yeah, that's what people want to see. They they want to see the little things that are being done. To, that's right. And and that helps have a change of heart and makes them feel more safe and helps alleviate some of the that tension and fear that has been building up over the past several months. That's right. Right. And I think the the solutions that you offered in that article were really great to get operators to think how they could apply some of those solutions. Some of them, you know, if you have a single sided buffet, pretty tough to have a person standing there manning it. But are there ways that you can use that space or, or am I wrong on that? I mean, you have, I mean, I don't know. Why couldn't I set up a folding table in front of it with a nice linen over it and make to order people salads oh, for them. Okay. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a solve for everything, you know, and, and to my comment about, you know, two years ago, we kind of started rethinking how we were building these in the first place. Um, a lot of our self-service buffets have a back area where you can still stand behind and serve off of who cares what the sneeze guard looks like, right? I don't care if it's a self-service sneeze guard. That doesn't mean I can't still do full service plating. Um, the other thing we've done, and again, thank you, you know, Volrath with your technology. I mean, we've, most of our salad bars today are being, we're putting in the hot cold wells as opposed to just cold wells. And so the other thing that could happen is some of these quote unquote self-service salad bars could become full service noodle bars. Um, and all of a sudden we toggle them to hot and we don't even have a salad bar right now. And we just do composed salads plated from the back. Right. So there's, you know, it's not a cookie cutter answer either, guys. I mean, I think that's really the other um, really important thing to mention on this is that every situation is going to be slightly different. But the reality is, is that there's not a problem you can't solve and turn something into something else. You don't just have to have a dead station. And I think that's really the heart of this conversation as well is, hey, all is not lost. We're going to get the opportunity to reopen. And when we do, we're going to have to rethink some of what we were doing before. So let's spend this time right now starting to rethink that. Yeah, right. there should not be any downtime right now. It's going to be the, the creative businesses are the, going to be the ones that come out of this on top. That's right. Well, thankfully, our industry is full of creative people. I think that's one of the hallmarks of people in this industry, right? The creativity that we we have. Joe, do you think, I've, I've said this before, like, the the going back in now 
it's going to be hard to be too safe, right? Uh, some of the some of the things that we think about as far as you know, do we we obviously wipe tabletops down and, and chair armchairs, uh, the arms on the armchair, but what other things do you see possibly coming from this as far as being safe in in the in the service side of the restaurant, right, the front of house? So I think this is a little bit of the trickle-down effect, right? So similar to the conversations that have been had all over the world about we flipped a switch to turn everything off, we're not going to be able to flip a switch to turn everything on. And so I think what's going to happen is offices aren't just going to open up and all of a sudden we're going to have thousands of people back in the building. You know, um, higher ed's not just going to turn classes back on instantly in the, and, and let, let students back in. Um, same thing with schools. I think there's going to be some sort of a, of a ramp up, right? And so I think what's going to happen is the industry and, and these folks are going to have to adapt. Now on the restaurant side, that's likely going to have to do with seat counts. Similar to the shutdowns and the stay in places, in a lot of places, and, and actually there's, what, seven states that haven't fully shut down that are still in this vein where, you know, they're only allowed to have 25% or a third of the of the normal seats, right? They have to social distance the tables. I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of in-between stuff happen first, and then it'll slowly start to ramp. Um, so I, do, I, I think the short answer, though, Rich, is that there's a – there's this desire to get back. And so everybody's like, okay, well, what's day one going to actually look like? Tell me now. Right. And the reality is we don't know that yet. And so let's start thinking about what day one could look like, but also let's think about what full capacity could look like knowing that social distancing is likely in play for the, for the foreseeable future, possibly years, um, you know, at least till there's a vaccine. So how would we space people in POSQs? How would we um, deal with the self-service soda machine um, in terms of keeping it sanitary between every single guest, right? Those are the things we can control right now, knowing that social distancing is likely what day one's going to look like and likely into some foreseeable point in time. Do you think the desire to get back is going to raise people's threshold for inconvenience when new safety measures are introduced? I do. I think that there's definitely a um, a higher threshold, but I also think that that will be short-lived. I think people have short memories. You know, six <laughs> yes. weeks back at work and all of a sudden I can't get my whatever. Um, I, you know, and again, I look, and I come from a slightly jaded place, right? A lot of my clients are Silicon Valley tech companies that have too much money. <laughs> so the reality is that they're probably slightly more entitled than the normal average. I, I use the average Joe sometimes just because it's funny. Um, <laughs> but but the reality is that, look, I, yes, I think that the threshold will be higher. The question is how long that is, how good of a job do we, does the government, do the regulatory folks actually do in terms of getting the word out, right? Because part of the problem with this thing is that communication has been literally an hour by hour thing in the beginning of this thing. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm nervous about is we're going to say, okay, we can open XYZ date, May 10th, whatever it is, but the regulatory and the, and the governmental response to what that's going to actually look like isn't going to come till the 11th hour, just like it didn't with the PPP loans, just like it hasn't with anything else. And so what I'm trying to think about is how can we do things that we know we would, you know, the highest degree of possible confidence, know that the decisions that we're making now will be, will fall into what they're thinking. 
when mm -hmm. that actually happens, because I don't think we're going to have a lot of time to adjust from the moment the regulatory comes out to the moment we can open. And I think that's where right now, while we have the time, we need to invest that time in thinking through what that reality might be, even without the guidelines. But then you can go to the far extreme and get two in the weeds and try and predict what consumer habits are going to be and what the government's going to tell us we can do. Um, so I think we have to find that balance. And I think as consultants, um, you know, that's our job. That's what we do. Now's the time to reach out to us. Um, and unfortunately or fortunately, we do have the time right now because a lot of us have um, things have slowed down for us, too. Have you been talking with other consultants? Uh, are you for forming like a justice league of consultants to come up with with the standards and guidelines or something to move the country forward? Yeah, so um, Food Service Consultant Society, which I think, as you guys know, I'm on the national board of, um, every week we're having a happy hour um, just because, you know, look, it, this is still the food <laughs> service industry, right? Right, like, right. Um, and, and these happy hours have been fantastic. We've talked about everything from small business, the PPP loans, and, and just our businesses to some of what the future is going to look like. And so I, I wouldn't say that we're some mastermind group, but what we are is sort of the most dedicated um, sort of independent food service consultants from all around the country and the world, to be honest. I mean, FCSI is global, um, but our America's division, I mean, we've got people on every week from Canada, from South America, you know, and everybody is facing the same challenge. Um, this isn't, none of us are unique in this, right? We're all in this together. This is the first time in my career that I can think of something that has affected us all universally across the board. And so when you start to think about the magnitude of that, I mean, harnessing the power of that, like this is that time where we as humans can also start to you know, think about what's going to be next, you know, forget all the outside factors. Let's do what we do best and advise on those things. And I think FCSI has been a great leader in that. Um, and I think we're going to continue to be. I got a question that is buffet related, but is, it's kind of away from everything we've been talking about. Can you tell me what was the absolute best buffet you've ever been to? And maybe one or two of the, the best items off of that and by contrast, on the flip side of that, what was one of the worst? You don't have to give out business names or anything. I was going to say, but... do I get to say business names? I'll say the business name on the one that I loved, okay, and I won't fair. say the business name on the one that I didn't. All How's right, that? all right. Um, so my favorite buffet ever, uh, Hotel Ziva, Porte Vierta. Um, it's an all-inclusive resort, and their buffet is ridiculous. I mean, they've got everything from sushi to – and it's over the top – my favorite dish and each of my boys, I have two young boys. They both uh, got it. They went, they have fishermen out, right? Just, you can see the boats from the beach. Um, and they're catching Pacific snapper, the red snapper, and they so bring good. them on shore, you know, and they Flip fry them whole in these huge, like walks right on the beach. Oh man, that dish was legit. I All will right. never forget that. Um, it's and the, the other one's probably the biggest buffet in the U.S. Uh, I would imagine. Um, yeah, I've had I've had a couple of experiences there. We'll just call it that. Cut. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> no, they they can be done well, and then of course we all know the other side to it that some are not right. The, the thing yeah. is though, and and I and I said this, um, I've said this a couple of times to a couple folks. Um, I, I think that for some people, those those buffet restaurants, you know, when they get the opportunity to go there and that was their meal out this month, um, 
they go into that place just feeling absolute like they had that same feeling that I had in Porte Verata. And so, you know, you, you can't you it's hard to quantify um, just a straight apples to apples comparison of any type of food service, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really interesting about our industry is that the emotional connection. I mean, you know, my kids were watching the movie Ratatouille the other day, you know, and there's that scene right at the end of Ratatouille where yeah. um, he's transported back to his childhood with the Ratatouille dish, right? Yeah. Like the way that people connect to food is is so different than any other connection that we have as human beings. Um, and so I think it's it's a little unjust to you know, silo a buffet as being, you know, and that's why earlier, Justin, when you asked me about, you know, buffets being a a bad word, um, I think some people like buffets are like, doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter what the restaurant is. It's like, holy cow, I can eat as much as I want. Like, so just uh, food for thought on that one. I, I, I think there's a, there's an interesting other side to that story. Definitely. Like I I was talking with Rich earlier about how buffets, transport me back as a kid you know I, I would go to this this Chinese buffet with my grandparents and the rest of my family and it was amazing by by a, a, a young kid's standards you know I get I got try so many different things that I never had before and mm-hmm. spending time with my family so there's that association and it, it trans it transforms into comfort food status so going to a buffet, takes me back to a particular time, a happy time. And it's, it's chasing that recreation of those moments and, and, and creating new memories with, with my family. I joked about the buffets at the casinos because, um, you know, again, that's a, that's a way of life for people, for some people that's, that is their recreation. Right. And at some point, um, you know, does the buffet at Caesar's palace, reopen and if so when and and how does it reopen and what does it look like because that is it's such an important part of some people's life right um uh, that i what covid does in that environment we don't know yet all right i think uh, as we said uh, there there's there's such a connection with food and people and in your right joe that there's a lot of people who go to the their night out their their sunday their recreation, their um, entertainment that connect to food somehow, right? And and not to throw all buffets in the same bucket either, right? We have we have good buffets and bad and then we also have we have two elements to every buffet. I think there's the food side to it and the quality of that. And then there's also just the organization and the presentation side of it, right? There's there's buffets that do that well and there's buffets that quite honestly we could we could um spend a little time and, and helping just in the layout and the the choice of ways they display and the utensils and all the things that go into that whole experience of the buffet, right? So um, in my article, I put out sort of a short list of some some ways that people can utilize these self-service areas. And I think one of the most interesting ones is, of course, doing prepackaged foods in them. Um, you know, I, I've got refrigeration or I've got heated areas that are for buffets. There's nothing that says that we couldn't put a prepackaged salad or a prepackaged uh, hot hot item or hot entree in there. Um, the other thing that we've really been looking at is how else can we utilize those and turn them into full service, right? Because Yes, it would have a labor cost implication, right? And there's no doubt that labor is going to have forever been changed by COVID-19 in many, many ways, right? Um, This may actually be a really interesting way to get some of the food food 
service workers back to work is increasing our labor levels slightly in areas where we had buffets and putting full service in play or plate to order in play. Um, and so I do think that some some of the establishments that made it through that have buffets, they may actually be able to absorb a few extra workers to do that. Um, and, and I think what the what the translation of that will be is we are going to see the price per meal for food service food go up slightly. Um, and I think that this reset needed to happen. Um, it's unfortunate how it's happened and it's unfortunate the casualties that will have happened because of it. But the reality is we were operating this industry on razor thin margins with no room for error. And um, now we've got all these brilliant food service people out of work. And what's going to happen likely in some of this reset is we're going to have slightly higher quality food at slightly higher pricing with slightly better service, which means the cost of it's going to go up to the consumer slightly. And I think we've got to find that balance because people are hurting financially. Um, and so food service is a premium um, and I think that as we come back and especially things like buffets and salad bars, that's one interesting way to, um, give back to the industry as well is to increase your labor level slightly, even if it's temporary to kind of utilize those buffets in a, in a more positive way. Um, so more to be seen on that, but I think that's where we're heading. You're seeing a lot more happen in gas stations where food is becoming not just edible, but actually good. Like around here, you see a cult following in quick trips. And then you got Wawa's, you know, that the people just are going fanatical. And, and they're actually putting in equipment to become more of a restaurant. So yep. uh, I guess, how does that apply? Because that's very buffet-like, where you, you're grabbing something off the hot counter, putting your own fixings on. What are we looking at there as yeah, what are some different applications? What is the word for that? I mean, like, so we have grocerant. Is there like a, is there a convenience store around a uh, word that anybody's <laughs> come up with? Gasserant. Yeah. I think we're going to have the same, the exact same issues there. Right. Um, the question is whether or not people think about that. Cause let's be honest, people are going to grass stations right now. Right. Like mm -hmm. as we speak right now, somebody's in a gas station filling up a, a Coke. They are. Um, I, what, what I think we will see is some sort of regulatory that changes that at some point, at least temporarily. Um, and so the question is to what extent that is. Um, it, it, I will say this. I went to a gas station. Uh, I had to do a little road trip. I got a, we got a puppy. Long story. Anyway, um, <laughs> went on a little road wait, trip. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I, I, I got to pump the brakes on that. Just yeah. what kind of dog did you get? So we got a Fox Red Lab. Um, oh, yeah. All right. So we're training a hunting dog. Yeah. Um, so, so we're on this road trip to go pick the puppy up and we stopped in. So the first gas station we stopped into was just open, like normal, normal for business. Right. Um, this, the last gas station before we came back, we stopped and it was closed, but you could have the clerk get anything in the store for you. And then they handed it to you. And they had like two or three people inside and you actually just use their intercom system and they brought it to you. And I was thinking, all right, well, I mean, that's – why couldn't that happen, like, even at the door of a cafe, right? And, um, you know, we were talking earlier about transporting us back in time in, in our food, crew, in, in our food um, uh, stories and things. 
early in my career, at one point in my career, we were doing like room service style food for one of our corporate clients um, in downtown Palo Alto. And we were literally delivering like custom meals to these different offices all over downtown Palo Alto. Huh. And I was thinking about this. Um, could a convenience store or even a cafe or a, a food uh, establishment that had outdoor dining, for example, do car hop type service, right? Um, permanently or even in the midterm, right? And a gas station, I would think that that's very likely possible. Um, yeah. and, and like I said, I've seen it. So I think that there are creative things like that that we all have to be thinking about right now and likely are going to have to think about for the, the next 18 to 24 months. This is likely going to be a big topic. Some of it will get control of the regulatory and some of it we're going to get left to our own devices and we have to be smart. And my last point on this, I think, is consumer confidence. I think it, it's just like anything you do. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. If you go into it confident and you've got a plan and you tell people your plan and you do a good job of, of, of executing on it, ultimately – the confidence level that your guest or your consumer is going to have in that moment is going to be very high. Mm. If you're a little wishy-washy, oh, I don't know if we can open or I don't know how this is going to work or, oh, we're just kind of fumbling through it. Bear with us. I think that's when the consumer, especially at times like this, not that we've ever seen this before, but in a time like this, the consumer gets a little skittish and then they go, well, maybe there's another option. And so I think that for me, if I had to do this all over again, I'm definitely confident stopping at that second gas station. That first gas station, maybe I'll just get gas. I mean, and so that's where I think we have a responsibility to figure out ways to be proactive, get ahead of this thing, and and be the experts. That's what we are. Yeah. Every chef, every restaurateur, you guys are experts in what you do. Feel confident, be the expert, and be smart. And the consumer will follow you and trust you. There's a great quote right there. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yes, sir. So, Joe, how can people stay current with you? Uh, where where can they find you on, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or anywhere else on social media? Yeah, so I'm at Food Space Joe on uh, on Twitter. Um, and then Food Space has both a both a, a LinkedIn and, a, and a, um, a Facebook page. And, of course, our website, myfoodspace.com. Um, uh, keep up with us. Send us a note. Ask a question. You know, we're here to help. Um, at the end of the day, we're all in this together, like I said earlier. And I think um, – you know, we've all got, we've got our own little things going on, but then we've got the big thing going on. And so sometimes it helps to just, you know, how do we get into the weeds on this one thing and just stay productive and stay positive and, and work towards something better? Wow, Joe, uh, thank you. That is um, really interesting to hear. And, and thank you for taking the time with us today. Your insights, your thoughts on the future of food service and uh, really thought-provoking and, and telling us to just uh, make sure that um, people, we're, we're, you're right, we are capable. We are the experts. We can figure this out and be creative in what we do. Think about all the possibilities. Don't get stuck in what it used to be. Think of what it can be. All really, really good advice. Thank you again so much for um, being with us again today. Any last words, Joe, on, on today's show? No, I mean, I just, we're all going to get through this together. So thank you guys so much for having me. And, um, and I appreciate, um, your support and Volras support. It's, it's been a great partnership for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. We appreciate you, uh, taking the time. And again, always a pleasure hearing your, your points of view and, and what you're thinking. It's very interesting. So thanks again for that. Justin, anything from you today? Last words. 
As always, just want to remind people, please subscribe. Click that like button. Share it with your friends. Never miss a moment. Never miss a chef. Never miss a topic. Very good. Thank you. And as always, I'd say if anyone has any thoughts about a topic that we've either covered or you'd like to hear covered on the show, please visit us at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And remember, everyone, uh, my final word, as always, is uh, don't worry about anybody else. Just keep doing what you do best. Kind of fits in right with the show, right? Do what you do best, what you know, and uh, no one's going to beat you. So that is it again for today, everyone on the feed. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.